get into the Word of God. Come on. Yes. Uh, we are in our Empowered series. If you have a Bible today, um, or if you like to watch, look on your device, um, we're going to be in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Um, the scripture will also be up here on the projector um, if you don't have a Bible. It actually is Super Bowl Sunday. I messed that up last week. Because <laughs> you can see I'm such a big fan of football. Um, but I'm going to work in a football metaphor today, I promise. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, before that, though, I did want to, as, as Marvin already did a little bit, just acknowledge uh, some of our friends. Roy, who was on the drums today, has been with us. Can you give him a hand? Roy's from South Korea. He's a student at MSU. He's been involved with us at the House of Prayer East Lansing. He's there probably more than I am. He's every day at the House of Prayer, and I'm not always there. So, um, but such a good friend, amazing musician, loves God. You, you want to know Roy. He's a great guy. Um, he serves with a Korean church in East Lansing. So we may or may not see him again, but pray God may give us favor and he'll come back. Um, also, some of you may not know or be familiar, as, as Alex said, Alex and Blake have history with us. Alex was a part of this church when she was a student at MSU. That's when I met her. She was also involved with the House of Prayer. I officiated their wedding. And uh, this cool backdrop, Blake and his buddy uh, designed and put that together. You guys like that? Isn't that nice? Yeah, so good. I get comments all the time. That backdrop's so cool. I'm like, I know. Uh, that's what I always say. I say, my friend Blake put that up for us, and we're never taking it down. If we ever move, if we ever move we're taking it with us. Uh, that's how much we like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I am so blessed to have our friends with us, Roy, the Canes. Um, it's kind of an interesting situation that they were invited. This, for whatever reason was not on the calendar, but was the unofficial go-away weekend for several of our leaders. If you notice, we've got a number of our uh, family who are gone. Uh, all the last week, people are like, oh, I'm not going to be there Sunday. Oh, I'm not going to be there Sunday. And they're all in sunny places. So the Lord's just testing us to not be jealous. Um, it's sunny here, but um, praise the Lord, somebody. But so if you're wondering what's going on or why, that, that's a little bit of what's, what's going on. Um, but yeah, February 12th, who knew? Next year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm in that boat and make sure I go somewhere for no good reason on February 12th. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you're here. And, and I had a sense, and I believe that, that God has you on, here on his purpose this morning. Whoever you are and whatever you're doing in this place today, that God is here with us. And I believe um, God wants to meet us. And so my encouragement to us is to be Alert, attentive, and ready to receive whatever the Lord wants to, to send our way. Just imagine yourself in the spirit today as a, a running back, a ride receiver. You're ready to catch whatever the Lord's sending. Amen. Let's pray as we get into the word of God. Lord, we ask that you would speak and give us a spirit of revelation as we open up your word. God, would you meet each person in this place, wherever they are today, those joining us online, those that are gone that may hear this message later, I love you. Um, but would you meet them where they are? And would you fill us to all the fullness of who you are? If you agree, you can say amen. 
All right, so we're in our Empowered series. The title today is Witnesses with Evidence. That's us. And so we're going to start reading in the book of Acts, and we're going to spend some time here for the next couple of weeks on um, the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It was actually written by Luke, um, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, in case you didn't know, and you'll see that at the very beginning of, of chapter one. Um, so you can even consider it like Luke part two, um, because I believe in his heart and mind it was not a new story. It was a continuation of what Jesus had begun, and you'll see that, but I'm, I'm giving it all away. Um, so let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Now, I've given you some intro. I want to give you a little more context because I think it's really, really meaningful. See, that, see who Luke wrote this to? He said, in my former book, Theophilus. It's not a cool name. Anybody know what that name means? It means a friend of God or one who loves God. And it's believed that this wasn't to just one person, it's to all who down the line of, of Christian history would say, I'm a friend of God, I love God, so I want you to know this book is written to you, friend of God, and it's for all who love him, and, or it could also be said by those who know they are loved by God. So the letter to you as one who is loved by God, as a friend of God, this is your story. It's for you. It's what, and, and I love how Luke says here, you can see it on, on the projector. Um, in my former book, Gospel of Luke, remember, he said, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach, which means what? Even though Jesus was on the earth, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, it was just the beginning. But Jesus wasn't done when Jesus ascended into heaven. That's just the beginning. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Don't you love how Luke wrote this? Until he was taken into heaven. So he, he began something for the, those of us who he called friends that we're still living in right now. That's what the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Luke part two, is all about. Are you guys with me? All right, let's keep reading then. And he's just unpacking the end of Luke 1. Uh, here, verse 4. On one occasion, you may be familiar with this piece from the Gospels. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, again, he had died and rose again. This dead man raised to life was eating dinner. I love that. Anyways, uh, he's eating with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, which is the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then, verse 6, they gathered around him and asked, Well, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? I'm going to keep reading. I, just, I keep wanting to extrapolate. He said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the dates or the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will, you don't know the times, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now you're seeing where the sermon title came from. Verse 10. So he said that, and then he 
ascended into heaven. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he's going, as you would do too, if you were there and suddenly Jesus ascended into the sky. (laughs) When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking in the sky? The same Jesus who you, who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back. The same way you've seen him go into heaven. Essentially saying, hey, you saw him go, but he's coming back. Stop standing here. There's more for you to do between now and then. Do you get that? That's the storyline. We want to see this in the context of Jesus' story and the heavenly narrative. Jesus came to earth, offered his body to bring us into the kingdom of heaven, and he started something. He began something. And he ascended into heaven to send it to the next level. He said, when I go, wait, I'm going to send power, and now you're going to go. You're going to go be my witnesses. And he says, don't leave. So this isn't like just a historical document for us to say, how many of you have ever read the book of Acts? You're like, man, the book of Acts is amazing right? It's just so fun to read the healings and all this stuff. And uh, it's fun to look at them and say, that must have been so cool. And it was. But here's the truth of the story. It's just the beginning. That was so cool. Then what's next? What's our part of the story? Because it's not over until what? The one who went up comes back down. Does this make sense to you? So as much as I love to read the story of Acts chapter 1, it's like looking at a baby that was just born and thinking that was the end of that baby's life. Wrong. It's the beginning. It's the seed form. And while birthing a baby and a brand new life is exciting, it is not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. And so he says, don't leave, don't leave. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And and once that job is done, once what I began has come to a completion, then I'm coming back. But they weren't getting that at the moment, right? They're like, Jesus, you're going away. You're going to give us power. Okay, so does that mean that you're going to restore the kingdom? Right, that's what they asked. They're like, okay, Jesus, is this it? They've been waiting for the moment for the Messiah to come in and conquer Rome and make everything great and and hunky-dory for them, right? We've been under oppression. Jesus, you're the Messiah. This is the moment our, our forefathers have been waiting for. Is it time? Is it time? And they're like, I don't know the time. You don't know the time, and you won't know the time, but right now is not it. See, they were ready for um, the political takeover. You know, we're here, we're in the capital city. He wants us to stay here in Jerusalem. Obviously, this must be a governmental takeover, and we are ready to overthrow. That's what they're thinking. We've been looking for this. You know, we've been waiting for the time. We think we've got God figured out. (laughs) We know that he's going to do it. It just makes sense. Many times we think we understand what God's up to, what he's about to do, but the truth is we actually don't have the mind of God. We have in mind what we want. I see your head's nodding. You know what I'm talking about. And the way we think it should be. I've been remembering, actually, I think the Lord's rebuking me often. So I'm not pointing fingers, but in the last couple of weeks, many times I just feel the Holy Spirit whispering in my own ear when I think about the Lord and what he's doing. It's the rebuke he gave to Peter when Peter's like, no way, that's not going to happen to you. He said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but his next words are what I hear. 
he, I don't hear the Lord tell me to get behind me, Satan. He says, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. And that's what the disciples were doing here. They're like, we want salvation here now in the natural. We want you to free us from this political oppression we're in right now in the natural. And essentially, again, the Lord's saying, that's not the things of God right now. That's the things of man. You have your mind on what you think is best and what you think you want. And I think that many times we are in that same boat. Like, it, it's going to look like this, right? It looks like we're going here. This is what's going to happen, right, God? And, and the Father says, no, that's not yet what I'm doing. That's not what I'm about. And he sees so much better than we do. You know, in that moment, they wanted an instantaneous political takeover, you know, but Jesus was after something bigger. What he had begun through his ministry was not an instantaneous one-generation political takeover. Jesus had in mind an eternal plan that would win people from every nation, tribe, and tongue for all generations, and that happens different. It's not just you kick the emperor off the throne and put a Christian on it or get put Jesus on it even. Because if they got what they wanted in that moment, a political takeover, they would have had peace and salvation and everything they thought they wanted for one generation. And when that emperor or that king died away, a new one would take his place. And, and generally what's happened in the course of redemptive history, when another human takes his place, it's never as good as it was before. And the generations forget what the Lord did for them and they wander. Because when we are only looking for external circumstances to change, we will only get what external circumstances produce. But Jesus was bringing an internal, eternal kingdom. And when people are transformed on the inside, they're changed not for a generation, they're changed forever. Okay, And that's the work that Jesus is about. That's the kingdom he had begun. That's what he had initiated and birthed on heaven and what he had set about to do. It wasn't to conquer people with political power. It was to conquer their hearts with love. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story that has landed us here today. If all they got was a political takeover, I don't know if we'd be here knowing and loving Jesus. I don't know if the nations would have been one because the Jews would have been so happy to have liberation in Israel, they probably wouldn't have thought they needed to go anywhere. In fact, it was the persecution, I'm way ahead of the story, but it was the persecution that came that sent them to the nations. Read the book of Acts and, and look where they go. They start in Jerusalem and, and the Holy Spirit comes and people get riled up and they get sent out and guess where they go next? Judea. <laughs> and guess where they go after the persecution comes in Judea? They go to Samaria. And guess where they go from there? To the ends of the earth. But you know what? It wasn't because they had the roadmap. They're like, well, Jesus said, we're going to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right, let's go. Page one. No. They were just trying to serve the Lord. And every time they did, great things happened and terrible things happened. And next thing you know, the Lord sent them. I don't think they were even aware that they were fulfilling his word. I think they were just um, subject to their circumstance. Read the book of Acts and tell me if you see the same thing. Okay, we'll leave that one there for, for now. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds on this, but God hasn't changed his mind on how he wants to change the world. It's still an internal, eternal kingdom where God's not seeking to knock people off of geographical, political thrones. He's looking to overtake hearts with the love of God. He never changed his mind. 
That is still the kingdom he's building. And that is the way the glory of God will fill the earth like the water covers the seas. Is that he's conquering hearts in love, taking over the hearts of human beings one by one and people group by people group with the gospel of Jesus. Amen? And this is good news to us because we can easily discount ourselves from the kingdom of God, the way his kingdom is coming, if we think it's about political power. If we think it's about, you know, national politics or culture, then we think, well, that's not me. I'm not called to that. But if you understand it's about him working his kingdom in your heart and bringing the kingdom through your life, then you understand that every believer is deputized as a kingdom agent. Is this making sense? So you may never be a governor or a city official, but if you're a lover of God, a friend of God, he says, I'm going to put my power on you. I'm going to bring the kingdom through you by bringing my love through you so that heaven is expressed right where you are. So the kingdom of God then comes right to your family, comes into your household, comes to your roommates, comes to your classmates, comes to your neighborhood, comes to your workplace. Because why? Because there's a lover of God in that place named you. And you have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on you. And he's going to use you to win their hearts in love. Is this making sense? It's a process that God is doing by the Holy Spirit of winning hearts and minds for the internal, eternal kingdom that will be established not just in Jerusalem for one generation, but in all the nations of the earth until everyone knows and Jesus returns. It's a global, multi-generation dominion of hearts in the love of God. I love it. So when Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, he did not just leave behind a message. (laughs) He left behind a ministry, and he gave it to us. But he didn't just leave behind a ministry. He didn't just leave behind a religious system. He initiated a brand new way of life called the kingdom of God living in us on earth, and we all become ambassadors of that kingdom. We all become representatives of that kingdom. Because why? Jesus isn't here in bodily form anymore. Did you know that? Spoiler alert. But you are. And if you're a believer in Jesus, his spirit is in you. So as much as we would love Jesus to come down and make all the wrong things right, there was a day when he will come down and make all the wrong things right. Until that day comes, you're the one. You're the one with the Spirit of God and the presence of Jesus to carry out the call of the kingdom. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a witness? You know this, right? It's a a, a legal term. Tim? No, I'm not going to call you up. Witnesses, simply put, bring testimony and evidence, right? That's what he says. You're going to receive power from on high, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. What does a witness do? A witness brings testimony and evidence. Well, what's a testimony? Testimony is uh, truth about what has happened. Evidence is tangible proof of that reality, right? So he wants us to bring testimony and evidence to the world of who he is. How? Through us. We've talked, somebody mentioned today, The Chosen. By the way, highly recommend that TV series. It's free. Go to angel.com. Watch it all. Um, one line that never leaves me is the story of Mary Magdalene in that movie. She goes, well, I wa- all I know is I was one way, now I'm another way, and what happened in the middle was him. 
Jesus. That's a testimony, right? This is who I was. This is who I am. And all that happened really that made me, changed me was Jesus. It's called transformation. It's a testimony. And if you're a, a believer today, you should be able to say, that's me. I'm a testimony. I'm a life change. How many of you say, my life has changed because I know Jesus? Hands? All right. Good, good, good. You were with me on that one. Um, so you have already a testimony, that you're meant to bring, and it's so easy. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You tell people how Jesus changed your life, and you have a testimony. But there's more. That's your first evidence in your life, but there's evidence more that he's meant for you to bring. I'm one way. Now I'm different. Um, One level is your life is the evidence. Your life is transformed, but there's so much more. Because what did Jesus say to them? What did he remind them of when he told them to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit would come so that they would be witnesses? Well, there's power here. There's got to be power release that is power that we don't have in and of ourselves right there in Acts chapter 1 is what he says. He says, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses. That's what we're talking about right now. To be, to be a witness, to have testimony, to have evidence of his reality in your life. He said, for John came baptizing in water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Did you see that part? And so to be baptized in water, and, and many, most of you, if you're believers, you just probably have been baptized in water, it's a declaration of faith in Jesus, right? And it's a declaration of repentance. I was living for myself, now I'm dead to myself living for Jesus. That's what we say when we're baptized in water. And then he says, but I'm going to see that you are baptized in my spirit. And I'm changing that on purpose because there's a difference. Like we can have faith in the name of Jesus, which I think most of us, probably all of us in this room have. Faith in the name of Jesus who has saved us and transformed our life. But he's not just after getting us to have faith in his name. He's getting us to be transformed into his nature. All right? So that our lives now begin to look just like Jesus. Because the very same spirit that was in him and on him, that would him live the life he lived to see miracles, do signs and wonders, see people healed, to see him go into the grave dead and come out alive, that very same spirit, when we read the gospel of Jesus, he says is on you when you believe in him. And so it's not just that our hearts turn to him and say, yes, I believe Jesus is my savior. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means that we would be immersed, covered, uh, completely transformed into the nature of Jesus. He said, I'm going to give you power to become what you could not come on your own. Someone could come to logically believe in the truth of Jesus. They could come to logically believe his claims are true. They could logically respond by the Holy Spirit to the call to salvation. But what a person cannot do with their own brain with their own intellect, with their own intuition, is have power to become like Jesus. You don't have it. None of you have it. But if you're a believer, you have his spirit. And his goal is that you'd be so immersed in the nature of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that your life looks like him. So people would like to say, well, when you put your faith in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. But does your life look just like Jesus? Like, when people see you interacting with other people, the way you interact in your circumstances, the way you speak when you see sick people, what happens? Do they look at you and say, man, your life looks just like Jesus? 
I'm guessing none of us are there quite yet. Now, if you're a believer, I want to tell you, you have that spirit in you. You do. It's there. You would not have become a believer without the Holy Spirit coming into your life. But the goal of Jesus, the end game of Jesus, is not just that you'd get a little drop on the inside of you so that you know you're going to heaven. It's that the fullness of his power would be so present in you that it would be evidence to the world that Jesus is still alive because of you. There'd be evidence that Jesus is still walking the earth because of you. What does that look like? It looks like Jesus. The compassion he showed to the hurting. The way he uh, laid hands on the sick and saw them get better. The way he was able to speak to demonic spirits and see them leave. That's all the ministry of Jesus. Am I right? Am I making this up? That's the same spirit on you. And Jesus said, you're going to put your faith in my name, but at the end of the day, my goal is that your nature would be mine. That your nature would look like me, and you need power for that to happen. And I want to tell you, it wasn't just for them. In Acts chapter 1, it's just the beginning. It's for you and me today. And God's plan has not changed. He wants to make you look like Jesus so people see Jesus, so they come to faith in the name of Jesus, and so that such supernatural power is in your life. Now that word, you will receive power, wasn't just this idea of like, you'll have an invisible authority over your life, but it actually means like a miraculous power, a miracle working power would be working through your life. And you may be saying, sitting here saying, well, I don't really see that yet. God didn't change his mind. That's his goal for you. And so instead of getting complacent, you know, to think like, well, I don't see that in me yet, or as I hear some people say sometimes, well, I believe it's in the Bible, I believe God can do it, and if he wants me to have it, he will. That's a, that's a lazy, complacent way to receive from God. Can I just be honest? I, I could use better words, but I'm not. I'm not doing very good with words on that one. That's like, <laughs> here's the football metaphor, are you ready? Get ready. I hope you're awake. That's like the uh, running back who's supposed to get the ball from the quarterback or the wide receiver saying, well, I'm on the field, and if the quarterback wants me to have the ball, he'll just hit me with it. Is that how you play the game? No way. But that's the kind of language I hear Christians use. Oh, I see that's in there. I've never had that experience. So if God wants me to, he'll just hit me with it. You know, they think he'll just show up one day and a football will hit him in the head. That's why they think that's how the Holy Spirit works. Like, oh, oh, okay. No, you position yourself. You have faith. You're like, this is supposed to come to me. You got eyes on the one. You got eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you said this is what you have. This is what you want from me. I'm anxiously, attentively ready and waiting to receive it. However, wherever, whenever you want. And you may fumble it once in a while. It doesn't mean he gave up on you. Okay? It's coming your way. Position yourself. And this is really what it means to wait on the Lord. Because like Jesus said that to them. He said, wait Wait in Jerusalem. And in a lot of ways, I see people say when they say, I'm waiting on God, is more like figuratively sitting in their easy chair, scrolling their phone, again, waiting for a football to hit them in the face. That I'm waiting on God. No, waiting on God is like that running back or the wide receiver. You are active, engaged, you're ready to go, or change scenes, the best waiter in the best restaurant. They don't wait for you to call them over. They're watching you, Right? And they're, they're attentive to your need. Oh, I think they need water. You know, and they're, they're there. They're ready. That's how we wait on God. It's an attentive, focused, 
serving, loving, and obedience. And the more we do that, the more we serve the Lord, the more we wait on him, the more we're focused on him, the more you will receive from him. Is this making sense to you? And I would just want to prove that waiting point uh, from the Bible, because you may be thinking, well, really, is that what it means, is that, that what it means to wait on the, the Lord? Well, scripturally, that's the only kind of way we wait on the Lord, I believe. And I'll just give you two, two texts for that from the Psalms. I love these. Psalm 123 says this, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes, and this is the waiting, as the eyes of a slave look to the hand of their master, or as the eye of a handmaiden, as another version says, looks to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to God, the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Again, I have one purpose, to keep my eyes on him. I'm not just passing my time till he smacks me upside the head. My eyes are on him. That's how you wait on the Lord. You continue to focus your attention on him. And Psalm 130 says it like this. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than, more, more than a watchman waits for the morning. Now, we don't do that in our culture, more than watchmen wait for the morning, but what that would look like is the, the watchman and the royal guard would stand on the wall through the watches of the night, watching the horizon, one, to see if anything was coming at the kingdom, that they, they would run immediately to tell the king, there's trouble, there's an army coming, but they also keep their eyes focused on one thing, they're not sitting back, they're not watching the time, their eyes are focused on the horizon until that sun begins to come over the horizon. They are waiting intently for the moment it arrives. More than watchmen wait for the morning, we're attentively waiting on God. Does that make sense? What, and it can be for power to come into our lives, but it can be for any word of the Lord in your life. Any promise from the word you're not experiencing or any prophetic word he's spoken that hasn't yet come to pass, you should be waiting on the Lord like this. Eyes on him. Eyes on him. Lord, I'm waiting. I'm ready. Tell me what to do next. And normally, God has more for us than just to sit there. If our eyes are on him, we'll see his eyes move. We'll see his attention shift. We'll hear him whisper something in the waiting of what we're to do next. It's a loving gaze of, of attentiveness and obedience. Is this making sense? Because when we're talking about even the power of God to come on our life, the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about like a thing or an object like I kind of described like a football, like a substance that we're well, suddenly hitting us. We're actually talking about the person of God. He's a person. He's got thoughts. He's got feelings. He's, he's got a personality. And, and the idea of waiting on him is finding ways to embrace his nature, to embrace his person in a greater measure. Whatever you're waiting on God for, whatever promise has not yet been fulfilled, come to pass in your life. In the waiting, keep your eyes on him. Serve him in love. Because what we ultimately need at the end of the day is him. It's him. It's a person. It's him. We're not waiting on a thing. We're, we're waiting on him. It's not more of a thing that we need. It's more of him that we need. Is this making sense? And he's calling us into it. And I know that many of you are 
are hungry to see him do more. Pursue. Put your eyes on him. Don't get so focused on what may or may not be happening around you yet. Don't get your eyes on what the things of man. Get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on the things of God. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Jesus says, just look at me. Is it going to look like this now? Just, just look at me. Just, just draw near to me. Where else can we go? Right? He has the words of life. We desire more of him. We're hungry for him because we love him. Theophilus. We are friends of God. Why? Because we trust him. We know he is faithful to his words. What happened when they obeyed him to wait in Jerusalem? And, and that's the funny thing. He didn't tell them how to wait. But we see them waiting in a prayer meeting. We see them waiting in worship. We see them waiting together. We see them attentively focused, putting aside the things of their life for this moment. Like, well, the Lord said he was going to do this. And so until we see it, until he's come through, until we're sure that we've received, we're staying here. We've we got our eyes on him. If it takes 10 days, if it takes 50 days, if it takes two years, our eyes are on him until he fulfills it. I wonder how many people didn't stick around. I wonder how people ran out because it didn't look what they thought it should be, look like. Or they got mad at their neighbor because they got offended. Anyways, I could go down a million rabbit tails, but we've all been there. Jesus wants our lives, here's the bottom line, he wants your life to look like his life. So that Jesus is evident to your neighbors, to your family, to your workplace, to the world around you. So that you bring to them a heavenly kingdom that is not of yourself. That people clearly see, well, that is not from you. you I like you, but something is in you that's greater than you. And they, they begin to respond not to you, not to your method, not to your message. They start to respond to Jesus. But the secondary message is here. For all the ways you're waiting... Don't wait for God to come hit you upside this head. Get your eyes on him now. Let's stand together and let's pray. Can you come on up, Blake? Thank you. We're going to take a couple minutes um, here and end in prayer. We're going to pray for anyone that, that wants to be receive prayer, which is a greater measure of God, greater measure of his person, his presence, his Holy Spirit. We'll pray for you. And he is moving. People have been talking about the, the revival that started four or five days ago in Asbury College that hasn't stopped. God's moving. We have earthquakes on one side of the world. We've got spiritual quakes happen on our side of the world. God's at work. Let's get ourselves in the middle of his work. Let's set our eyes on him and let him, let's receive what he wants to pass our way. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for loving us first, for calling us into your glorious kingdom, for putting your name upon us and drawing us to you. Lord, we say we are lovers of God. We say that we are your friends. We say that we do love you. And what you have begun on this earth 2,000 years ago, God, we know that you've got something greater today and something greater tomorrow, and something greater until the day you return. Lord, would you stir us with faith again? 
Would you stir us with expectation again? Would you free us from our own lethargy and slumber in the spirit? God, would you awaken us from places where doubt has crept in? God, would you shake us free from the places where um, complacency, God, in the mundane of the day-to-day has distracted us from keeping our eyes on you. And I pray right now for every person in this room for grace again to, to wait upon the Lord, to seek you with all of our hearts and to receive every good gift you want to give us. But most of all, Lord, to receive you, to receive more of you today, Jesus. Would you come? Would you come even right now? Come right now. We're going to sing this song together as we respond. And if, if you want to uh, respond and, and just let us, uh, some of the elders prayer team, pray for you, lay hands on you. Just come on up while Blake leads us. If you're being stirred today with the realization that you need a greater measure of his nature, come on up. Don't be afraid as we sing this song. We'll be praying for you. Go ahead, Blake.